we're live. How about you do the introduction this time? What? Yeah. You're just gonna throw me in the deep water like that with the- I always throw myself in the deep water. Yeah, but you're a shark by default. I'm a- not a shark. What are you? You're a whale. I'm a sheep. You're a dolphin. I'm a sheep. I was on the shore and I floated away into the Tony Shark You're waters. You're a seal. A seal. Do an impression of me doing the introduction. No. Yes. Stop trying to make me do an yes. impression of you. I don't do impressions of you. There's a first time for everything. <laughs> Tony, it. no, it's uncomfortable. You do an impression of me, how about? I've done impressions of you. Oh, yeah. What do they sound like? Nice chat. The flexion doesn't work here. <laughs> Introduce the podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Jamie, and I'm nope, not as scared. Nope, nope. Introduce the podcast as me. No. Yep. Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony, and I'm uh, very uh, confident and self-assured. You sound the same as I do. <laughs> that, well, you told me to do that. No, I wanted you to do an impression of me. I can't, I can't do an impression of you. You could, though. If you think about it, I don't do impressions You've of our You've probably done it. No, I haven't. Like, in the shower. Maybe not in the shower. I hope not in the shower. Oh, maybe. Yeah, you can do it in the shower. It's fine. No, I honestly haven't. There's, like, that, 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 that's a lie. Like, you don't do impressions of your friends? No. That's interesting. I did, there's, like, one person I do an impression of, of our friends. Your dad. Well, I do my dad, yeah, because he's a character. And whenever I want to understand how he thinks, I just do an impression of him in my head. So what if you want to understand how I think? Well, I can't necessarily infer how you think because you have a completely different sense of humor as me and you're, like, quick-witted in a different way and I can't emulate that. Why do you need? Why do you want so badly to have somebody impersonate you? I like it because it's interesting to know how someone else is perceiving you. When I was when I was in university, there was an attendant who used to do an impression of me, and it was in the Kermit Kermit the Frog voice. Oh yeah, I got Kermit a lot too. And but he used to do it like sardonically and kind of in a in a mean way, and so I just kind of shied away from like that association and I just didn't like it. I don't want to do mean-spirited impressions. When I do an impression of someone, I want it to be like for mutual amusement. I would be amused. I, but you I'm not forcing say, you to do it. Now, you, I, now I'm not even asking you to do it anymore. I just want to talk about this idea. Tony, <laughs> you're constantly saying you don't like the sound of your own voice. And then you're asking somebody to impersonate the sound of your voice, which by definition you do not like. Yeah, but I'm actually kind of over that now. It's fun to make fun of it because I have a lot of jokes from material over the years. But this podcast, I mean, listening to my own voice all the time, it really doesn't bother me as much anymore. I'm a little self-conscious still about the fact that people can't really hear me. So I have to kind of just not talk or someone has to talk for me in a loud environment um but but, but there's the, the actual like timber of my voice doesn't bother me anymore but the here's the thing is that for a lot of people the timber of their voice is also a reflection of their character because it's kind of how they they sound and it sort of informs their personality but your your voice the timber as you call it is not a byproduct of personality it's your it's partly your disability so but i think that's a little like 
everyone's voice is shaped by the stretchiness of their vocal cords and the amount of testosterone to estrogen ratio they've got going on. I know, I know. But like, you know how you've talked about in the past how your disability has a tendency to like to produce the same kind of timber, as you say, Uh from the people from the entire community of people who have it. Yeah. So but your your personality and your uh, like your confidence level and your conduct, they all come across through your voice. And it's like independent of the timber. You know what I mean? Like you're you are sort of like rendered quieter than you should be, but you're not a quiet person. This amount of talking about me is making me uncomfortable. And I realized I did this to myself. Yes, you so did. I'm not mad at you for, for it, <laughs> but I would like it to stop. Okay, okay. But I'm saying that I do like your voice and therefore I Thank do not you, want to... Thank you, appreciate it. Yeah, How I don't are you? I, I'm very good. Yeah, what's new? I've struggled with this question for the past few episodes now because I've grown increasingly self-conscious that... It's also a dumb question. That's on me. Like, it's such a basic... It's like... How are you doing? What do you want me to say? Good? Every time you're supposed to I'm going to start lying. Okay. Like, you know, like I, I went to the trampoline park and I'm like f- like fourth citywide in like the triple sow cow huge trampoline jump. Can you please explain the process of a triple sow cow? Because I'm pretty sure in farming lingo, you're just saying cow twice. I'm pretty sure a sow is a female cow. So you're just saying cow cow. Cow, cow. Well, I'm just, I'm trying to say that if you keep asking me that question, I'm going to start like inventing pastimes. Okay. What's new? (laughs) That's the thing is I don't have much imagination lately. I've been kind of limited by. You've been deep in the work. Yeah. I've been really, really just, just distracted. So just by work focus. Yeah. And it very much limits the scope of my creativity. That's fair. Have you watched any good movies lately? That's something you can always talk about. It is. No good movies. We watched Morbius today, and that wasn't a good movie. Yeah, but outside of this podcast, you haven't watched anything? No. No, nothing really worth mentioning. Uh, What was I going to say? You were going to tell me about your Sargao gymnastics. Right. If you were not disabled, do you think your life would be busier? Oh, interesting. How do you answer if you were not disabled questions? Do you base it on, like, your family and how you might be similar or different from them? Do you base it on, if all of a sudden I woke up tomorrow and I was able-bodied, would I go out and do stuff more? I don't know how to answer that. Probably, I guess. There would definitely be more things I'd be able to do, but I already kind of fill my days. Yeah, I would do the same thing. I would infer from nurture how I would behave uh, if I were not disabled. Like I know based on my dad's inability to stop moving that I would have like a dozen practical hobbies and several things to kind of fill my day. I think for me, it's, it's very tricky because I grew up outside of my natural nuclear family. So if I wasn't disabled, I would more than likely if not for sure, be in that family still. And that would probably, more than likely, if not for sure, shape how I acted. 
Yeah, but you don't seem to like, forgive me for making an assumption, but there doesn't seem to be less on your plate because you're disabled. I have a thing inside me that likes to keep busy, but I think that's a disability thing because I was taught from a young age that life is short. I need to get every opportunity I can, milk every experience I can. So I feel like time is always running out and I have to cram everything into my days. Mm-hmm. Where I probably wouldn't have that if I was able-bodied. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of the trampoline triple sow cow. Yeah, right. Can you explain your training process? <laughs> well, I don't know. You just uh, jump on the trampoline in the gymnasium until you can flip three times backwards. Is that what a sow cow is? I have no idea. I just know it's I a feel like that's just a triple pipe flip. It, yeah, it's. <laughs> I think it's a it's a, a Olympic skating term. I just don't know what to call it, and I wanted to to use flavorful language. Well, it's interesting because many gymnasts become disabled. <laughs> so you're basically going. Is that circle. why it's interesting? <laughs> that is why. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also I've decided many, even though it's statistically probably like three in every eight thousand or something. I was thinking today about things that I'd like to do in the summer or things that I would do if it, if I wasn't chronically afraid of COVID. Okay. And I was remembering this time years ago. As a disabled person or as, as a disabled body? person? Okay. Just just as me, like whatever I am and whatever right. physical state. There was, a, there was a point where one of my closest friends, who's a total clown and I love him, was, um, was working at a, a local park at Trowbridge like campgrounds or whatever. And he just had this nothing job where he sat in a cabin and he like, he just booked people at these various like camping locations. So he just sit in this cabin all day and like he'd play emulated video games. And then he'd get on his little like four wheeled uh, golf cart thing and just drive around the campsite. And he, like was always of the mind that I was like deeply unadventurous, like never rode any quads or went sedoing or or like whitewater rafting or like did anything interesting, even though I kind of sort of like maybe could. And so he's always like, he's like, Jamie, man, can I, can I just bring you on the on the fucking card and we'll just drive around Trowbridge for a few hours? And I was like, one time I finally relented. And he he loves putting me in these situations, like putting me on stupid rides, like at the Mall of America or yeah. like the CLE or what he likes just putting me in situations where he knows I have no like physical uh, or situational literacy. You or- are funny in those situations. Like even just watching you be lost in a video game is very entertaining. Why? Because well, I freak out needlessly, I but in a very funny way. It's never freaking out where it's like, oh, I feel bad for him. I want to <laughs> help him. It's just yeah. like, get out of here. You're being ridiculous. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get I get lost in three space. Of course. Yeah. As normal people do when they don't have a internal brain compass or something. And so... You know, my my good friend like loved me getting flummoxed in these situations. So he, so but anyway, this time at Trowbridge, he like, <laughs> he put me in this cart and we just 
drove this circuit for like over an hour and there was this one particular like jump it felt it felt like a straight up grand theft auto jump because you get like a mild bit of air like on the front end of the fucking cart and he he hit it like 20 times like enough for me to get totally desensitized to it (laughs) but for the first 10 times i was mortified but also laughing myself shitless yeah and he was just and i should contextualize this a bit like my friend is like an idiot for the sake of amusement but you know when you actually ask him to think he thinks and the um and he also is really, really good at helping me, like, get around. Like, he understands uh, the things I can't do, can and can't do without even me having to say, like, I need help with this. And this is just, like, from years and years and years of, like, bringing me up and downstairs and, like, bringing me to other people's houses and to bars and venues that are not friendly. And plus, he's, like... He's been a, a swimming coach and, a, and a, a basketball coach. And he's like, I don't know. It's just a natural skill set of his. So the, that, the point being is that even when he's a complete fucking jackass, I feel safe around him because we kind of understand each other. And so even in this situation where I want to kill him and he keeps taking that fucking jump because he th- thinks it's hilarious when I'm on the verge of pissing myself. Uh uh like i'm i'm still kind of cool with it and so i just sometimes i think about that stupid track that we eventually went around around at trovage and it makes me happy (laughs) are you thinking about trying again no i just like when when i'm talking about how i'm kind of annoyed that i don't have any hobbies to kind of brag about on the podcast like that's the kind of stupid shit that i wish i could tell you that i was doing you could you could just lie I, I don't like lying. That's not a very good thing. That's fair. I, I kind of know what you mean, though. Sometimes I'll get stuck in a loop where I'm, like, daydreaming about what I would do if I was able-bodied. Yeah. And then and then I start to feel bad that I'm not able to do some of these things. So I have to, like, I've found now that I can catch myself doing it and then go, okay, but what if I start daydreaming about something that I can do and then eventually you start daydreaming and then you just come up with ideas yeah oh I could do that and I can actually do that maybe I should do that whereas if if I was doing doing it through the lens of being able-bodied I'd be like yeah if I was able-bodied I would go and do that and do this and that would be awesome but then I start to feel sad that I can't so maybe just like instead of wishing that you were doing stuff Maybe you have to just force yourself to do this stuff. Like, especially now after COVID, I feel like I have to force myself to say yes to things more than ever, just because of, again, I have like that definite fear of missing out where I need to keep doing things in order to feel like I'm not wasting my time. But it's definitely amplified since COVID. It's that kind of delicate balance between making sure that you're you're doing things uh, like outside of your comfort zone and then also not really like torturing yourself because of your limitations. It's a, it's a hard balance to strike and you need people to encourage you to be to take risks. And then but also all the 
rhetoric about respect it's like when when is when is the respect stuff just rhetoric that keeps you limited and when it when is it like true and sometimes i don't really know i don't really know yeah I've, i struggle with that from the other side of it i'm generally the person that is trying to like peer pressure my friends into doing something I'm like it's yeah. fine just have a drink stay a little longer let's go do this thing that you don't really want to do you're gonna have a good time i promise but then there's this other voice in my head being like, don't pressure them. If they really don't want to do it, they can't do it. But sometimes people actually just need that push. And sometimes they actually want that push because they're going to say no, but they kind of need that person to be like, let's do it. It's fine. We'll be fine. Yeah. And I'm usually that person, but I do often get self-conscious that I'm you know, pushing too hard or pressuring people too much and I don't want to force somebody to do something that they don't want to do and I don't want them to resent me after for doing it but if I do it the right amount then they're going to be like I'm glad you made me do that yeah like you just have to ask yourself if you really want to do it and if the answer is then if the answer is yes then peer pressure is okay it's also sometimes that first step like someone will invite me to do something and I know it's going to be uncomfortable yeah, And I just force myself to say yes, because then I, I, I don't bail. That's one thing about me. Like, unless there's something crazy, I re- like, I don't bail just because I don't feel like it. So if I say yes to something in advance, then I'm kind of committed to it. So then when the time comes, I just have to force myself to do it. And it happens a lot where I, someone will ask me to do something I know I'm not going to want to do it at the time, but I just say, yeah, that'd be awesome. And then the time comes, I force myself to just get there, like book a ride, get on a bus, walk and show up. But then by the time I get there, at the end of the night, I'm like, that was so much fun. I'm so glad I forced myself to do that. Yeah, I, I, I liken it to a kind of exercise. Like, you know, the first 10 minutes of any bout of exercise you're always wondering what the fuck you're doing. Like, why did I get myself into this? I'm barely yeah. breaking a sweat. My bones don't even know how to move right now. Like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. And then all of a sudden, you hit that sweet spot, that stride, and you're like, yeah, this, this is why is I right. do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, then you kind of push yourself to, like, the point of, like, new newness, where it's like, uh-oh, I'm going beyond what I normally do. I'm kind of scared. What is this? And then you're, like, kind of exhausted. But that's that's normal, and it's kind of a relief. I think that is what's called living. It's also the same thing that happens as a procrastinator. So many times I want to procrastinate. And I'm like, this other thing will give me more immediate satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm addicted to the instant gratification of it. So let me just do that. But if you just force yourself to start doing this other bigger more daunting task, then eventually it's obviously way more rewarding, right? It's not just a cheap thrill. Yeah. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend today who I haven't talked to in a while because of uh, COVID limitations. And uh, we used to talk uh, in the halls at work and at lunch. And um, we were talking about, I'm trying to be as vague as possible, but we were talking about... uh, when um, jokes at somebody's expense are appropriate. And I know you and I have covered this topic 
extensively, but it's something I kind of want to revisit for a moment. Uh, this person is in particular like keenly able to make uh, jokes that uh, on the surface present as like harsh or cutting, but in actuality, because of how like acute and like and how uh, effective the punchline is, like the laughter you get from it is so like uproarious, at least for me in particular that I'm like grateful for, to this person for having made the joke and like quote unquote gone there, like taking the risk to go there. Right. The example that I can think of, and I'm hoping that I can do it justice is, um, um, I was talking about, I was talking about how I don't like having meetings like first thing in the morning, especially meetings that I haven't scheduled when i say first thing i mean in the first hour so from eight to nine a.m i just can't think like i'm not there yet things aren't moving i don't know who i am i'm still not recovered from the sleep from the night before and i'm just not useful in a in a group setting and the, the my my friend said um my friend said yeah like I should have given an initial context for this, but he's like, uh, he frequently teases me whenever I eat food in the lunchroom. He says you can always tell where Jamie sits in the lunchroom because there's (laughs) debris everywhere. And in the outline of the, in the outline of the debris is that of a power chair. And so he joked uh, one time, first of all, that uh, when we went remote, they were able to cut the janitorial budget by 60 grand annually <laughs> because the one person devoted to cleaning up behind my power chair was no longer employed or no longer necessary, <laughs> which I thought was fucking hilarious. And then he said, uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, no wonder you can't take meetings in the morning. Your 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 mother's busy hosing down your power chair after your eggs benedict <laughs> or something like that. He's like, I make such a huge mess that like my mom needs to power wash my chair every morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. And the thing is, like, the thing is, I do make a mess because, like, uh, like fine motor skills and food. And sometimes food it's is not, not the- just that. You can't just blame your disability because I just watched you eat your dessert and you shoved it down like an <laughs> anaconda trying to swallow a goat. That's not fine motor skills. That's patience. <laughs> I'm afraid someone's going to take the food away, Tony. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's so important to have someone. I think we talked about this a lot, but as someone with a disability when an able-bodied person feels comfortable and they've built a level of trust with you that they can make a joke at your expense yeah especially when it's a disability related joke it does in a very weird maybe unhealthy way i don't know feel like you're closer to them because they see you for who you are they accept you and they're even able to make fun of it Whereas, you know, people are too afraid that that might hurt their feelings. And we've talked about it ad nauseum that we don't want to be treated like people have to walk on eggshells around us. It's also that, you know, like hanging out amongst friends and making jokes and, and, and sharing a sense of humor in a group setting. It's like the whole point of it is to provide each other with 
some relief. Like the every the every days of life don't provide many opportunities for laughs. And so oftentimes when someone is like bringing you into the fold, it's like, it's like, I don't know. It's just like a mutual understanding. Yeah, it's not, I'm not talking about like popularity or something or social status. I just mean that like when someone's like, oh, willing. Oh, this guy gets it. Yeah, when this, when someone's willing to make a joke with you, then it's just like, it's, I don't know, life is just better. I don't know. Yeah, it's camaraderie. Yeah. And there's always, there's, there's some kind of factor to it, or there's, there's some special magic or key coefficient or something that helps you that where you can sort of, you know, when you've encountered a joke that isn't mean spirited. And sometimes there's not like many concrete rules to follow to produce one because it's such a subjective and creative thing. But it's like, it's all about reading the other person. Well, every joke is a risk, too. And so being able to feel vulnerable enough to take that risk with someone is special. Yeah. Plus, like, around my house, I get so many, like, snide remarks from my parents about, like, my inability to, like, come away from a meal without a mess. Get a robot vacuum. I will. I will. But when I'm... When I so often associate this particular trend in my life or whatever, this particular trait that I have with negativity, and then someone comes along and makes it like a like a profound source of relief, it's, I, I don't know, you just end up being grateful for it. Yeah, you're like holding all this baggage, and someone makes a joke that makes you drop it, and you feel lighter for a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the perfect way to describe it. Thanks, Tony. Well, I think the perfect way to describe the movie we just watched is a very long Snickers commercial. You were joking because we hated... Well, I don't think we hated this movie. We were just like deeply unaffected by it. I hated the movie mostly, but I liked the effects, the visual effects of the movie. But I didn't care at all about the plot. I didn't care about the acting. I didn't care about the story. I didn't care about the characters. But I thought that the visual effects are pretty cool. I did think so as well. Like I, I, I think the part in the part of my brain that triggers uh, dopamine when I see good graphics in a video game. Yeah, it sort it sort of happened here. But I think it was because I was so divested from the plot and from the characters and any emotions. Yeah. It was attempting to evoke that I just focused on the one thing that I could actually appreciate. So, which Snickers commercial did we watch? We watched uh, the we watched Morbius, which is a Marvel movie. Yes, surprisingly bad because I've been to a lot of Marvel movies in theaters, and they're usually like fine. They're never good. There's rarely one that I leave going that was actually a good movie. Yeah, but there's many of them where. I'm like, yeah, that was fun. It was like eating some popcorn. And it's like when you have a nice bag of chips and you're like, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't have eaten it, but it was delicious. Right. Yeah. Miss Vicky's chips. No, Miss Vicky's I don't feel guilty after. Oh, I'm really? thinking like, like Doritos. Wait, after you eat Miss Vicky's, you're proud? Yeah. Miss Vicky's feel natural to me. It feels like a, a healthy choice. 
<laughs> like you'd put Miss Vicky's out with your your uh, delicatessens on your charcuterie board at a swanky party? I for sure would. I actually went to a pretty fancy restaurant recently. I wonder why somebody would have a reason to go to multiple fancy restaurants in a short period of time. Tony. Nice try. <laughs> but um, I ordered like a tartar and it was on Pringles. What the fuck is tartar? Oh, are those fish eggs? No, that's caviar. Oh. <laughs> it's it's just like raw meat. Oh. Like it's like beef tartare is just like raw beef seasoned and chopped up and then you eat it on like a cracker or something or like some bread, but this is just on a Pringle. So is is sushi just fish tartare? Um Generally, tartare is also like mixed in with other spices and stuff. But yeah, kind of. Like you could take sashimi and maybe turn it into tartare, arguably. My dentist says I eat too much tartare. Nope, she doesn't. Wait, you're saying? It's a really bad joke. <laughs> I don't like that at all. No, never I'm mind. I'm really upset. <laughs> she said tartar. Never mind. <laughs> you had to explain it too. <laughs> you couldn't have just let it be a bad joke. I couldn't. Worse. I had to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I consider Miss Vicky's a healthy chip. My dad actually loves to count the number of ingredients in chips and use that as a qualifier for how healthy the chip is. So he will get unsalted Miss Vicky's because there's like three or two or one ingredients on it. And he thinks that's a good. So then I gave him jalapeno Miss Vicky's because he likes spice. And that's the only Miss Vicky's I had in the house. And he started <laughs> counting the ingredients. And he was like, yes, yeah, I don't know what this is. And I was like, because you don't know what it is, you're not going to, you're going to write off the whole chip. He's like, yeah, but jalapeno powder is the last ingredient, which means there's the least of it. And it calls itself jalapeno Ms. Vicky's. There's more onion powder on here. It was an outrageous <laughs> conversation. <laughs> the disagreements you have with your parents are so much healthier than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're not mad at each other. It's just like, we're just having like a philosophical debate. I was like, so you think they should have been called maltodextrin onion powder, Miss Vicky's? <laughs> Please tell me he laughed. Yeah, he just, and then he'll just add on. He's really good at the yes and. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I wonder if like hanging out with the McAuliffe's is just an endless game of yes and. With my dad, it is for sure. With my mom, she'd rather just be busy, like, cleaning the house or, like, doing busy work. Mm. But, like, my mom will yes-and her way through a story about, you know, something in her life or, like, something that she remembers doing or someone else doing. But my dad will yes-and, like, ridiculous concepts that we just made up. Like, I could just start a conversation by being like, would you rather have feet for hands or hands for feet? He, would, he wouldn't He would laugh and be like, that's absurd. He'd be like, are they my feet? Or are they, like, he would just instantly be in it. And that's what I love. It's always 
fun when you have like um when you have an adult in your life especially growing up who will do that it's a sneaky way to be a very supportive parent because he's sort of just giving me space to let my creative juices flow and to be absurd to be unjudged to be guiltless and to just have a good time and not take things seriously so that can also translate into you know like my professional life i can feel like i can take creative risks at work and have more confidence that even if it doesn't work out it was good for me to try mm-hmm. and yeah it, it definitely it's one of those things that you as a kid you don't appreciate at all and maybe even sometimes get annoyed by because you're like that's not specifically something that I ever got annoyed by, but like I have very vivid memories of my dad trying to prove that like scissors were not well designed. So he would just ham up <laughs> how hard it was to use these scissors. <laughs> and I got so annoyed being like, that's not how anybody tries to use scissors. <laughs> You're just doing this to prove your point. It's outrageous. Nobody does that. Stop. Just use the scissors. I actually love when people point out that regular everyday objects are poorly designed. That's one of my favorite things. You would love my dad. Because, yeah, it's like it's like shower nozzles are confusing to read and never behave consistently across showers. My dad is constantly reinventing the wheel. Like, he'll come out of the shower and be like, so while I was in there, I was thinking, I think if I was to design a shower, this is how I would do it. And he'd have a whole thing ready in his head for how he would redesign the whole shower. Would would he know that he's a goofball? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, my dad writes music in his free time. Yeah. And one of the latest songs he wrote is about, he, he used to love going to this one chip truck. And... Tony, do you want to just take a break from the episode and go eat a pile of chips? Why, am I talking too much? No, I just, because you've mentioned chips multiple times, so it seems like you have a hankering. When I say chip truck, I mean french fries. Oh, right, okay, yes. So it's a french fry truck, and my dad used to love going to this chip truck, and it eventually like shut down. And so then the way my dad's brain works, he'll just start, thinking, I wonder what happened to that guy. I hope he's okay. I hope everything's good. (laughs) And so he wrote a song about the most absurd possibility for what happened to this chip truck. And he he called the song Bubba's Mobile Crematorium. And he wrote an entire song about a guy who couldn't make money selling french fries anymore. So he turned his chip truck into a drivable crematorium and he has a whole song with verses and he just sings about this ridiculous thing he's absolutely a goofball six feet underpass i was trying to combine like driving on the highway with death and coffins (laughs) i'll have to find it for you he has a recording of it he's actually like laid the tracks because my brother has a like a music room with a recording studio and he recorded it for him. I can't think of a pun right now. You shouldn't. <laughs> Do you want to talk about why we didn't like Morbius for a little bit? Yeah, go for it. Well, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that nobody likes Morbius. Let's talk about 
why it's relevant. Because Jared Leto plays a character on forum crutches for a significant portion of the film, and he spends the whole movie like poisoning himself with uh, bl- human blood as a vampire Batman uh, because he he's so scared of becoming a wheelie again. I should say he plays a um, a doctor with a rare blood disease that requires him to have transfusions on a daily basis, like to be on dialysis, essentially, I guess. And he um, so in the start of the film, he's sort of depicted as this highly dependent, like highly uh, vulnerable man on forearm crutches with an extremely pale complexion. He looks like he's moments away from his last breath um, until he becomes a vampire hero. And um, it's such an outrageous premise. Like, man doesn't want to be disabled, so he injects himself with black blood and becomes a vampire. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not quite that. It's like, well, man is going to die soon, even though he's like in his mid to late forties. So he's had a pretty full life on this supposed supposedly terminal disease, and he um, he basically just wants to continue to live uh, disability free the the interesting thing that i find about this whole thing is that like he previously is honored with a nobel prize for inventing synthetic blood that is used to treat veterans and just just mankind in general for for various issues so he's a highly highly accomplished researcher and yet in the film his his highest achievement is the fact that he's able to render himself able-bodied with bat blood, and uh, the whole the whole movie is very silly. Uh, the, the whole time I was watching it, I was wishing that I was watching The Fly, <laughs> because there are no real emotional stakes, and it's it's basically just kind of using or abusing disability as a primary motivation for a character to continue to pursue like an unnecessary augmentation of their physiology. Yeah, I mean, again, the effects were cool. That's the only good thing I can say about it. Um, I didn't care at all about the conflicts, about the progression of a disability. I didn't care if he was going to be disabled or not at the end of it. I didn't care. Spoiler alert, obviously, we're always doing spoilers, but in IMDb, it said that Michael Keaton was in this movie. And so I was like, all right, well, at least I have Michael Keaton to look forward to. Yeah. Michael Keaton was in the post credit scene for like 40 seconds. Probably less. Probably yeah. 25 seconds at most. I guess the, the really annoying thing about this movie is not only is it empty in its broader strokes as a superhero narrative, but the disability elements, like none of them are inventive in any way whatsoever. Oh, like, we've seen this story a hundred times. Man is trying to cure himself, so he, or even trying to cure someone else, so he thinks the only way to do it is to try it on myself, and it doesn't go right, and... The love story in this was pretty unbelievable to me. Yeah, there's... Well, let's start a little bit earlier. Like, the movie starts out with Jared Leto in a in a children's hospital in Europe. Actually, the movie starts out before that. You need a doctor? 
I am a doctor. Oh, yeah. That's when uh, Jared goes on an expedition to find a group of bats. And so he has to go to this like remote cave in a helicopter. And when he gets off the helicopter, uh, it's like the first time that the pilot's ever seen somebody with forearm crutches. So Jared's just trying to go for a stroll toward the fucking bat cave. And this guy is like, hey, dude, you need a doctor? You look like what are they? How are they, where are they going to find a doctor in the middle of a bat cave? <laughs> like he'd be fucked if he needed a doctor. What are you saying? It was just a stupid setup for him to say, "Haha, I am a doctor," and then like refute the broad assumption that somebody who uses forearm crutches doesn't have a prestigious uh, occupation. Do you think you're going to get a PhD so that you can use that one? No, I'd, I'm done overcompensating. If I was going to overcompensate, I would have finished by 27. I don't care. I'm just a, just an app developer. Whatever. Do you need an app developer? I am an app developer. <laughs> that is a joke, eh? Um, I was just saying that um, in the start of the movie, we get the whole like intro to Jared as a sick boy. They position the primary thrust of the film to be a Jared's quest to find a cure for his disability as a child. And they, they, they um, immediately ascribe him with that, like disabled person's exceptionalism trope. Whereas a kid, like he might be sick, but he knows how to fix his dialysis machine, like with a, with a ballpoint pen. And like, he may be sick, but he's very bright and has a whole lot of potential and he's going to escape the the dwellings of the medical institutions that he's been forced to live in for most of his childhood and blah 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 because he's a genius and then of course he grows up and his entire reason for being is to find a cure and how do we know he's a genius because he's in front of a chessboard Right at the start of the movie and from his hospital bed, he plays chess and he has a Rubik's cube next to his, his cubicle. So he has to be a genius. He must be a genius because the average person can't solve a Rubik's cube. Or learn the eight different pieces on a chessboard. Right. Yeah. And all their various move sets and combinations. I actually play chess quite a bit. So we both know I'm a genius when I'm pooping. Right. Exactly. You're a genius, especially when you're pooping. I bet you this guy doesn't play chess while he's pooping. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other thing is that he does origami. So that that's the, another m- movie shorthand for genius. With one of these, it took a team of scientists to build that machine and you fixed it with a ballpoint pen. There's a school for gifted children in New York. I think that I could get them to agree to cover your tuition and provide private care to help manage your condition. Somewhere you could study, learn, hone your skills. You have a gift, Michael. I don't think I could forgive myself if I saw it go to waste. Dear Milo, this isn't goodbye. I'm gonna find a cure for us so we can be cranky old men someday. Your friend, Michael. P.S. You shouldn't have unfolded this. Now you'll never get it back together. The sad part about that clip is that the voice you heard initially, uh, Jared's doctor as a child, is played by Jared Harris, who is like one of the best working actors uh, in the present moment. You know, like the star of Chernobyl and side character on Mad Men. And 
he played Mycroft Holmes in uh, in the Guy Ritchie version of Sherlock Holmes, which I actually think is quite underrated, to be honest. I don't know. There's like quite a bit of talent on the screen. I don't really buy into a lot of Jared Leto's bullshit, but he's had several roles throughout his career where I've really liked him. I thought he was really effective in uh, that the newest Blade Runner film. He played uh, the head of the Tyrell Corporation and his his recent kind of stint of like strange celebrity uh, uh, method acting kind of roboticism. You know, that sense that he's more he's more a product than a person, that synthetic kind of emotional distance in him. You look at him and he looks like a like a like a perfume model or something. <laughs> he doesn't quite resemble like there's some something wrong with him. He's like a, a doll of a man. His proportions are weird. I, I don't like him, but in some roles like that, syntheticness is quite is it works. He just needs to be casted correctly. He can't play like a, a relatable sick person, even though he did very well in Dallas Buyers Club. So I've just contradicted myself. But yeah, you know, like people know what I'm talking about. Jared Leto sucks. Like that's not news to anyone. We need to let let go of Leto. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I think it should start with Morbius or Morbius is the beginning of the of Jared Leto's downfall, hopefully. Yeah, I think it was one of those roles that he took too seriously. Like, yeah. the way that, like, Daniel Day-Lewis would take a role if he was in a Marvel movie, where it's just yeah. like, you're just playing a Batman in a Marvel movie. You don't need to, like, method act your way into forearm crutches. It would be more authentic if it was less authentic. You know, it's funny because like method actors, like people put all these accolades on method acting. And we've talked about it before, how it's become, especially in the present moment with all the, all with everything going on in the world, like the the accomplishments of celebrities seem all that more um, trivial and useless and stupid. And so method actors are like the kids in school who, who brute force studied really hard for everything. Yeah. And nowadays you just sort of you just sort of respect the actors who only have to go to a couple of lectures and they still pass the quiz. Like Jared Leto studying too hard for a stupid test that doesn't matter. Yeah, like I read that Jared Leto sat between takes in a wheelchair to pretend to be disabled. No, that's the dumbest. You can imagine what it's like to sit. You don't need to be in a wheelchair to be like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. I, I still want to make like a short film about uh, a method actor who like goes to Carlton, like when we went to school and just like has lunch in the cafeteria with us to prepare for a role. And it, we're just like, who is this fucking asshole? <laughs> and we just make fun of him the whole time until he like cries and, and quits the role. It would be so uncomfortable if we got cast in a movie or like a movie got written about us and they cast someone else and then that person had to live with us for a couple weeks to try to like learn how to be us. Yeah. Can you imagine? That would be so offensive. Like imagine if they got it perfect. Like Like they're watching you eat. You're watching TV. They're watching you. And they're just like, 
trying and then you spill something so they spill something right and then your mom has to power wash both your wheelchairs (laughs) power wash the eggs benedict off the chair yeah 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 such bs are you actually having eggs benedict for breakfast no i hate outrageous it's gross i don't have eggs benedict wait you don't like it no i was saying it's outrageous because that's I love eggs Benedict. No, the most extravagant breakfast that I have is Finn pancakes. Is that like a different kind of pancake? (laughs) Yes. Are you just saying Finn with a lisp? No, I'm saying saying Finn. Like not thick? Yeah, not thick. Not like a British person. Not thick pancakes. You have those Finn pancakes. Yeah, Finn pancakes. Right. No, I'm just strangely... Uh, racist to all the Scandinavians in this case. I I like my pancakes thin. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I don't know. Do we need to deep dive more into fucking Morbius? I I don't have a lot to say beyond it's trash. It is trash. Everything is predictable. There's no part of this movie that surprises you in any way. The plot is exactly what you expect. Yeah. As soon as you know the overall premise, the movie is as bad and worse than it sounds. For sure. And there's just like, none of the emotions of the film are rooted in anything real. Like, you don't actually care if if Jared Leto finds a cure for his illness because you don't find him relatable or interesting as a disabled man. I also didn't really find him the protagonist. Like... I, I get that he was supposed to be, like, struggling to deal with the fact that he wants to eat people every day. But I didn't care. Like, he was still just destroying people. He still felt more evil than good. That might have had more to do with, like, his character design as a vampire. Like, the- Yeah, it's very intriguing. He's very creepy. And I kind of was more invested when he was a vampire because of the effects. Like, again, this movie seemed like they spent way more of the money of the budget on sending it to an animation studio. For sure. Like, farming it out to India or something. Yeah. But I still, like, I keep trying to compare it to The Fly. Um, Which is strange. I know, I know, I know exactly what you're doing. I just, I mean, I saw Jeff Goldblum this weekend in another movie. Oh, in Jurassic Park, and it was yeah. bad. It was so bad. I know. I'm sorry to hear that, Tony. It was so bad. I wish that Jurassic Park could be a reputable franchise. I watched the original the, a few days before going, and yeah. it was so fun. It's such a good movie. And then I got to the theater, and like almost immediately was like, oh, this is going to suck. Like, everything, like, it was cool to see everyone back together. But, like, Chris Pratt in those kinds of roles, outrageous, so bad. I, I, just, I just keep seeing Andy Dwyer riding a horse, and he's trying to be like this. So, anyway, sorry, I'm off track. I, I think there's no better indication of the downfall of civilization that Chris Pratt is considered the contemporary Harrison Ford. Yeah. I just cannot stand that he is considered a leading man in any capacity whatsoever. I don't care how many muscles you pack on that motherfucker. He's, he's just a, like he's a reprehensible clown. I do like him in Parks and Rec, though. Like he's 
funny. He has good timing. He's the kind of guy that would make me laugh with his goofy jokes. But yeah, but the shoe fucking like, fits in Parks and Rec. Exactly. Yeah. They're trying to release a movie in which Chris Pratt plays like a Bourne, uh, like a Jason Bourne character on Amazon Prime. Ugh. And I saw the trailer and I I had to take a moment for myself to calm down because I was yeah. I was just so pissed off that the world is trying to tell me that Chris Pratt is a leading man in any way whatsoever. And is this this fucking dim-witted dipshit is getting the, these roles and meanwhile they won't make Idris Elba Bond? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, man. Idris Elba as Bond would be so good. I would, I, yeah, I would watch the fuck out of that a thousand times over. But here's the thing, like, there are no stakes in Morbius. They're like I. I actually really liked the character design. I liked the kineticism of the action scenes. I thought it was quite inventive, even when they were like traversing the city and like showing the extent of his strength and and influence. Like it did have a visual identity, which was interesting. And I thought that like if they had if they combined Venom or something, and this movie was made by a more interesting director like uh, Sam Raimi or uh, Justin Lin, like one of these people who make uh, uh, B-movie horror films of late. It, it should have been a horror movie and there should have been something else to motivate Morbius or like some kind of remorse or tragedy at the heart of it that where you you want him to redeem himself in spite of becoming this vampire and instead it just becomes this this empty bland conflict between two friends who both had the same disease but one wants to blood suck on people and the other wants to drink synthetic blood and so their solution is to have a fist fight in the middle of New York City and like i just for the amount of talent that they've involved in this whole thing like the end product is so is so dramatically void of anything worth consuming that you're just it's almost like a shame a, like a deep shame that this is what the hollywood machine is currently able to produce on mass i thought they were going to do something with the wife or girlfriend or whatever so that she could be like she would die at the beginning and he was trying to do some John Wick vampire stuff to rectify or to get some sort of comeuppance. Well, I thought, I thought that would happen too. Like he would, uh, he would accidentally uh, inject himself with the vampire trait or whatever. And then he would go full Hulk and accidentally attack his girlfriend and yeah. leave her, leave her in like a fatal state and then he's in he's in this like and then he realizes the shame and the guilt and he has to stop this because he's yeah that would be awesome right or if it went, I don't even know if it would be awesome but it would at least be more palatable yeah or if it went like the body horror route of the fly where there were there were some real consequences to him having made himself into this vampire that didn't just manifest as the risk of him like having to consume human blood because if you really think about it the solution is just to run your own blood clinic like your your own blood donation clinic and devote like 20% of your stock to your own consumption like that's it all you there need you to do you don't even know that 
Just get a job at the Red Cross. Exactly. Like, it's not even a fucking issue. You don't have to... You People will give you their blood if they think that they're going to help somebody who's just come out of surgery. <laughs> well, all you got to do is swindle them. Yeah, when he was in his normal state, he looked unaffected. He was, like, ripped, actually. Yeah. And then when the clock starts hungry, he has to go and drink some blood or he'll turn into a arguably pretty creepy-looking vampire. Do you remember when I said that the movie was giving off, uh, like, same-sex vibes and then you said I was being homophobic? Sure do. Do you want to talk about what those vibes were? Like, okay, the point that I'm trying to make is that, like, Jared Leto in this movie has... Uh, the chemistry, like with the female lead of the film, he has the chemistry of a soggy sandwich. Like that's a lot, right? No, it's... the two sides of the bread are so into each other that they're dripping wet. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I should pick a different metaphor. Maybe a dry sandwich. Yeah, dry sandwich. They have the they have the the chemistry of a piece of unused sandpaper. Yeah, the chemistry of a thick pancake. <laughs> yeah, so what? I get what you're saying. You're saying that the guys had more chemistry. Yeah, yeah. they the 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 same sex uh, pairing in this movie had the chemistry of cold McDonald's fries. Is that supposed to be a good thing? No. Well, cold McDonald's fries are notoriously awful. So you're saying there was no chemistry on either side of the field. No, I, I, I'm saying... Oh, did I say this? I meant the hetero relationship. That's what I meant. Uh, okay. But the guys had the chemistry of what? War McDonald's fries? I guess so. Their whole reason d'etre was to cure each other. Yeah. They were like bros, right? Yeah, but there's like... but You thought there was some butt sex implication. No, I didn't. I thought that it was going to be... I thought it was going to be the first Marvel movie involving like... Same-sex people. I do see what you're saying. That yeah. would have been awesome. I didn't feel that energy, but if it was there and I missed it, that's cool. And if it wasn't there, I kind of wish it was now. Right, well, because the the foundation was kind of there and it was the only kind of dynamic in the film that had any, like, interest or weight or... Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, I mean, the, the hetero relationship was just... A piece of unbuttered toast. It was awful. If I never come out of being a vampire again, just know I always loved you. Yeah, and you're like, right. and the age gap between them is like at least 20 years, probably. But Jared yeah, it doesn't like, matter. I'll drink baby blood for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The movie was just bad. It was bad. It was bad. Good special effects, bad movie. I'm starting to get hungry. You don't want to see me when I'm hungry. Yeah, you said after that line, you're like, if the cop just gives him a Snickers bar, this will become my favorite movie of the year. I, I was so excited for this to just be like a long Snickers commercial. And he just looks at the camera and the cop goes, you're a vampire when you're hungry. And just hands him a Snickers. That'd be so good. I would have been instantly invested. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, this movie took itself way too seriously with nothing to show for it and over it. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. The the whole his whole impression, like Jared Leto's impression of someone on forearm crutches, he was just so like uh he, he I don't know. There was somebody who's been on forearm crutches their whole life would not move like that. They just they'd still have some kind of First of all, forward momentum and a swagger and confidence. He just, he literally just makes it look like it's, he's never used crutches before. Like his legs are two wet noodles uh, that have never bared weight. And I don't know. It's offensive. Yeah, it's really, really bad. I wish it was done more like Gyllenhaal and Stronger, where you're almost like, how did he do that? That was so cool. And yeah. I had to go and watch the green screen to see how he did it because it was so believable without looking overplayed. This yeah. looked like the man just hobbled around his living room for weeks in forearm crutches, assuming what it must be like. It's like the director of the movie just gave him like the bare bones, the most bare bones of direction. Like, yeah, Leto, like, in this scene, you're just disabled. Like, you know, disabled. Like, yeah. skinny legs. You He's don't like, oh, your... I know disabled. I've seen forearm crutches. Yeah, just act like you're on the verge of falling over at any given second. No problem. Yeah, terrible. The other thing, his the villain of the film, as I was saying, uh, Leto's boyfriend, his kind of, like, arc for becoming the villain is so stupid. <clears throat> it's just, like... This this guy, uh, Jared Leto's friend, ends up becoming a vampire too. And he enjoys that he has bloodlust. Like, it's like he gets a taste of a drug for the first time or has his first drink in high school and then just immediately becomes a raving, abusive alcoholic. Like, that's really his only reason for turning sour there's otherwise no indication that they will be adversarial in in any way whatsoever what if it was something interesting like this guy actually did have feelings for leto and then like leto rejected him so then like he becomes a vampire and he's like fuck you I, you jilted me and now i'm gonna be like a, a toxic rejected uh vampire guy just something like some emotions to fucking underlie the film that feel tangible in any way other than just like oh you know that standard trope of the hero fighting somebody who is their mirror like they did it in ant-man where where uh what's his stupid face that everyone loves you don't like paul rudd oh yeah okay i like paul rudd i'm sorry i just wanted to provoke you paul rudd paul rudd in the ant-man movie fights another ant-man and fucking uh robert downey jr in the Iron Man movie fights uh, Jeff Bridges in an Iron Man suit. And so now, obviously, Morbius has to fight another Morbius. Where, dude, like, honestly... It's good versus evil, right? But it's it's such stupid evil. It's like... Oh, it's terrible. By now, they literally just have some kind of Microsoft Word script template for these fucking movies. I was thinking about that. Like, how soon is it going to be before we just 3D scan an actor... And put him in an AI program, and then a movie gets spit out. Honestly, I'm pretty sure that there's like a like a self, uh, like a what do they call those algorithms that I should know about? Machine learning. Yeah, they they'll have a machine learning algorithm where they literally just compile compile like 
uh, millions and millions of film synopses, like the back of the VHS yeah. tape. And, and I'm sure they could probably use that machine learning tool to create a synopsis and then derive a script that is a hundred million times better than this stupid fucking movie. Because we've seen this script a hundred million times. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is something to be said about method actors who are so dumb that they don't know when not to method act. Yeah. He seems like one of those guys that like constantly like, I need to push the creative envelope, but doesn't really know what that means. So he just thinks it means be disabled in his next movie. Yeah, he seems like the type of person who like exclusively drinks uh, cucumber flavored vitamin water. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he's and and all of his pants are designer jeans, and every day he wears a new pair. And he has eight guitars, but doesn't play any of them because he wants to keep them pristine. Yeah, and he has a personal uh, hairdresser that lives uh, in his walk-in closet whose job it is exclusively to trim his beard. <laughs> I don't know about that. His beard never looks that nicely trimmed. No, I know, but he's just such a pretentious fop. Come here, Garrett. Trim my beard. <laughs> what else? Oh, yeah. Remember, remember when Christian Bale in 2009 was in that Terminator movie? Terminator Salvation? No. You don't remember Terminator Salvation? No. I probably saw it, but I don't remember Christian Bale in it. Well, Christian Bale plays uh, John Kana, and uh, it's a terrible movie. You remember that viral video that came out of him, like, like getting really angry in his Cockney accent and yelling at the, yelling at the set people. I do remember that. Well, I was just thinking like. That movie was directed by somebody called Mick G, whose previous credits include Charlie's Fucking Angels from the early 2000s. Uh, Christian Bale, how the fuck did you not like deduce that a movie directed by Mick G would be undeserving of your study habits? You know, he just should have known based on the name of the director that the movie is fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Jagger. Fucking Jared Leto is not even a human. I would have loved it if this movie starred Jay Leno. <laughs> As Morbius? Yes. Every every punchline is a Monica Lewinsky, Monica Lewinsky joke from 30 years ago. <laughs> How about that theory of Monica Lewinsky? Monica Lewinsky? Monica Lewinsky? Anyone? Anyone? Jay Leno sucks too. He does suck. I, I think I worked myself up a lot there. Sorry, Tony. Yeah, it's a terrible movie. Do you want to go to wind down as a wheel breaker? Do you have one? Yeah, okay, let's play wheel breakers. Wheel breakers. Do you have one? Uh, you go first. <laughs> okay. I'm going to make you fully able-bodied. Uh-huh. But at least once a day, every 16... To 20 hours, uh-huh. you have an unquenchable thirst for V8 juice. And you need to go to your local grocery store and drink all the V8 juice that they have until you throw up V8 juice. Oh my God, why are you, what? You're torturing me. Otherwise, 
you'll be back to being disabled. <laughs> the only way to sustain your able-bodied powers is through unhealthy amounts of V8 juice. I love V8 juice. Well, you have to drink it until you puke. That's so dumb. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I have to make myself stick with V8 juice every day. Yeah. Like, there's, that's so ridiculous. I just have to sit in, I'll be banned from every grocery store in the city. You have to, like, wear a disguise to get in there. I'll have to break into Costco and, like, drink it in the back room. Do you think you would throw up more as time goes on? Like more quickly, or would you get used to it and it would increase your tolerance? I think it would be eventually, even the sight of it just gets you crazy. It's not like when you like eat hard, like solids, and your stomach grows. No, but I'm saying like your body might make the connection. It's like you do you have like an alcohol that you, if you even think about drinking, it makes you sick, or like a, a food that. You, you even think about eating, and it makes you nauseous. Yeah, of course. Everyone has the alcohol that first made them puke. Right. So if, if V8 juice had the same effect on you over and over again, I think eventually you wouldn't have to drink that much V8 juice <laughs> to get sick. That's really dumb. <laughs> I don't want to drink V8 juice until I get sick, just so I can walk without a walker so you're gonna stay disabled yes this is, I'm, that's awful <laughs> what if it was once a week oh my god i hate puking i i hate puking so much once a month uh once a month fine once a month that's your limit i hate puking a dozen v8 pukes a year <laughs> this is the uh <laughs> what am i supposed to do with this like it, it's as dumb as the premise of this movie. Yeah, that's true. Once a day, this guy had to go drink blood, otherwise he became disabled again. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be funny to, like, be made a superhero by the most unflattering mammal? Like, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Pigeon Man. <laughs> Is that my real breaker? I have to be Pigeon Man? <laughs> yeah. You have, to <laughs> hang out, you have to hang out with pigeons all day. <laughs> or... Wait, so I'm... An able-bodied me when I hang out with pigeons, or I'm also a pigeon. Pardon me, seagulls. Okay. Yeah. Same question. <laughs> You're a superhero. You're a seagull man. Am I part seagull? Do I fly? Can I shit on people? On yeah, that's the thing. That's the other thing is you have a tendency to poop on people's windshields. But I don't get to control it, or I do. <laughs> You're a, you're a seagull man. Presumably either you're irreverent or you can't control it. I read this Onion article once. The headline was so funny. It was like, seagull with diarrhea almost doesn't make it to the beach. They shit on the beach goers. Yeah, the joke is, the joke is, I might have even said it on the podcast, seagull with diarrhea barely makes it to crowded beach on time. <laughs> <laughs> Tignataro shared that on in, in in a documentary once, and it just killed me. I couldn't. I just fell apart. Yeah, that's such a good line. <laughs> uh, so wait, I I forgot what you said. 
Do I get to control it? No. So just randomly. No, you don't care anymore because you're but a seagull. I'm a seagull. Yeah. So the, is the wheel breaker just, I'm going to make you fully a seagull? No. Occupationally speaking, you put on a white leotard and you fly around like Superman, except you are a seagull man. Occupationally. So for like eight hours a day? <laughs> yeah. Before your Can morning. Can I tell people? Or is it like one of those like mystery superheroes where they're like, who do you think is Seagull Man? <laughs> and I'm just like in the post office, just looking at wanted posters. You're just dropping human sized seagull shits on people's <laughs> windshields. I feel one coming after they bust out the leotard. <laughs> yeah, fine, I'd do it. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I feel like. One out of every three people I shit on deserves to be shit on that day. <laughs> yeah, fine, he says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think people deserve it? Why? I think one out of every three. <laughs> no one deserves to be shit on. That's not true. Some people deserve to be shit on. <laughs> You're like, I know at least three paradrivers I would shit on if I became Seagullman. I would love to have it as a defense mechanism. <laughs> like, I'm, like, trying to get my place moved up in the waiting room. And I'm like, you don't want to make this quick. <laughs> <laughs> How are you supposed to shit on people when they're indoors? What do you mean? From above. <laughs> All right. Through the sunroof? I don't think that would be, that'd be the easiest part. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part is... Concealing my identity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't think people forget a face when they shit on your windshield. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. I, I, maybe I'll like help the world. Like, you know, they might all shit on them, and then they'll start to wonder if they deserved it. And maybe they'll like <laughs> shape up and try to be better people, more <laughs> empathetic, and. They'll feel like what goes around comes around. So they'll start to like treat others with more respect. I think if Morbius got shit on by a seagull man, it would have been a way better movie. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it for sure. That's a much better emotion for me to end on rather than talking about this stupid movie. I agree. Yeah, this is a fun recording. Fun yeah. episode. Another shorter one. But... Any parting words there, Mr. Tony? You know, if... One of you got shit on today by a seagull. Two of you didn't deserve it. One of you might have. <laughs> Is that supposed to be a proverb? Obviously. <laughs> by the way, uh, <laughs> this is why we're submitting our podcast to the, um, what's it called? Seagull Conservatory? No, the C CBC. They have that, that contest or whatever. Oh, well, in that case, I'm taking out my final words. I would think that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, I have no final words. <laughs> <laughs> Be good to one another. Yeah. Or else. Yeah. Enjoy your public broadcaster. Bye, everyone. Thanks again for all the love. Yeah, thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> <laughs>